Welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. Today, I'm joined by Brad Lodel, the co-owner of West Seattle Cyclery in the Alaska Junction. Uh, Brad's passion for cycling began in high school, watching Greg LeMond win the Tour de France in 2009. After being in the software industry, he decided to change the pace and began managing a local bike shop. In 2013, Brad had the opportunity to own his own shop. Uh, is there any gaps I... I Left out there, you want to fill in? Greg? No, I mean, you know, my back in the, you know, back before uh, I decided to get into get back into cycling, I was, you know, worked in the tech field for a number of years, and um, it was uh, it was fun. I really enjoyed the tech world, and I still keep up to date on a lot of that, and I still have follow a lot of uh, websites and news. Uh, about the tech world because it, it still impacts things that I do on a daily basis but um, I don't have to be um, right on the, the edge of the leading edge of, of the technology anymore. Sure. So. What, uh, what, what aspect of the tech field? Um, I had uh, spent a lot of years working in web development and then it kind of transitioned to software interface design and um, when I came here I Moved, when I moved up here from Albuquerque in 2004, I went back to school at UW uh, for a few years and got uh, finished a certificate program in, in UI. I had already been doing it for a, a little while and um, it just kind of, just to polish up the resume a little bit and then did a lot of contract work for uh, Microsoft and T-Mobile and um, just other web development here in the Seattle area for a while. Okay. Um, and what, what was the kind of big impetus for you to transition from that field into owning um, a bike shop? I think, uh, you know, right about the time, 2009 when I was doing it, my son was just born, just kind of going through other life and personal changes. And I, and I realized that um, I wanted to be able to spend more time with my son. And um, the tech world wasn't always very conducive to that sort of um, lifestyle. Okay. You know, it had the benefits of having a much larger salary than I'm making now, but uh, I really, I, I think for me, it was that, that spending time, that personal time, especially spending time with my uh, son, mm-hmm. has, been, has been great. So, um, and, uh, I, I, you know, there are, like, there are some, you know, there's some days where I wish, I was like, well, if I was in tech world, this, you know, things would be so much easier than owning my own business. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, the reality is I probably would own my own business, but it would be technically related as opposed sure. to a bike shop. So. Sure. And you always have that kind of trade-off of the, the easiness, so to speak, of a nine-to-five versus the job satisfaction, flexibility. Right. You know, yeah, you know, I... I I get to spend time with my son in the morning, and then of course I you know I work late do, do the shop hours, and then sometimes it impacts my weekend free time. But um, I, I probably work far more hours than I think I did ever in tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I have it's not I don't have to always be chained to the computer. You sure. know, there's times where I can enjoy and kind of like take part of a day off if I need to. Right. Yeah. Like this morning. Like this morning, yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, did, did you, before you uh, bought the bike shop, did, now did you buy it or did we you take actually, it We actually, it was a, we, it's a, it's a new shop. Okay. So, um, 
I had managed uh, a couple of shops in the Seattle area for uh, since 2009, and then in 2013, um, an opportunity arose for me to basically start my own shop. And uh, so I kind of jumped at the opportunity, jumped at the retail space that I had, and uh, just went from there. Okay. Well, what do you love most about about your business, about owning your own shop? Um, I think you know. I think the I, I really enjoy uh, working with the customers. Um, it, it does give me some flexibility, uh, I, I, and I love cycling. Uh, I've, it's always been a huge passion of mine. Even though there was a period of time when I was living in Chicago that um, I kind of had stepped away from it, wasn't racing, wasn't really riding all the time, um, and so it allowed me to kind of come back, kind of put. Um, you know that that passion I had for cycling uh, back uh, into my life, and mm-hmm. so it was great. I, I really enjoy it, um, and I also enjoy it because when I got into the business, it's like I bike shops have had, and they still do have. Some of them have a, a bad reputation for not being very um, personable okay. and having having employees that you know aren't uh, are. are you know, don't uh, either talk down or belittle the customer in certain ways. And uh, I always thought that was doing a huge disservice. I mean, cycling is such a fun and easy thing and, and everybody can do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that uh, um, to have a bike shop that does something like that is just, it's just ridiculous. And, sure. Um, I'd had, I'd worked for, in the retail side, for Apple and REI and... I knew the benefits that uh, you know a, a business that's centered around customer service and, and customer experience, yeah. um, how that will you know be financially rewarding, but also you know it's like you you create a place that your employees want to be at, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and so those ideals that I took from those the, the experiences at Apple and RIA really helped shape kind of what. I, we do at West Hill Cycle. Sure. Okay. It sounds like you and, and Dave from Emerald Water Anglers, you know, have a lot of uh, similar philosophy when it comes to the the, the caliber of customer service. Yeah, Dave is a yeah. Dave is a great guy. He's a customer. Yeah. Um, we've hit it off, uh, you know, from the pretty much from the day we met, and uh, he's a really he's a, he's a really he's a great guy, and I think. Um, I'm good friends with his manager Reed. We race on the same team together. Nice. Um, we discuss business together. Uh, we've helped bust a guy that had been stealing from him mm-hmm. yep. uh, and probably stealing from me and it just made the blog a couple days ago, I guess. Yep. So um, I think that uh, you know having that it's good to see somebody like Dave in you know owning a business and and because I think it helps um, it helps build that community here in West Seattle. And I think that's what's always been really interesting about West Seattle. I've been here about 13 years now. It's always had a really strong community feel. It never has a this big corporate feel. And I've got friends that come sure. from the east side and they come to West Seattle and they're like, wow, this is just so, you know, it's so different. Yeah. You know, they have like, you don't have a large corporation owning all of these Local businesses, and right. I think that's 
that's what's really awesome about Seattle. It also makes it a huge challenge for uh, West Seattle businesses. Sure, um, it's hard to compete. It, with it is hard the to compete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like you know you definitely have some uh, experience. You know, managing bike shops and mm-hmm. uh, working with clients and and whatnot. Um, I'm sure that helped with your initial opening your own, your own place. But what was the most challenging aspect of starting your own business? Um, yeah, that was probably I think. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, I, I go back and, you know, every now and then I'm just like, man, I wish I would have known what I, what I didn't know at the time now. Uh, but um, I think the biggest challenge for me was just, um, uh, you know, g- getting the vendors and my staff, um, or actually challenging my vendors and my staff that when they do something for the shop or they supply the shop or they do something, there's a level of expectation that I want and that I expect. And uh, I would say, and, 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 and to get them to understand is like, you know, we're, we need to all be in this business to make money. If, I, you know, I can't just have a vendor dump product in my store and like, hey, here's the bill and I'll see you, you know, mm-hmm. and never show back up. And, yeah. And I think that, so the challenge has always been to like, you know, my, my challenge is to get them to understand that my customer um, needs to come to our store and, and value the product that we have in it. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're always selling a product at a discount or, or we're selling our services at a discount, inherently they're not going to value your product right. or your services. Um, because they know that, well, I'll just wait a month and it'll be on sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say it, the, I've had really, really awesome um, employees. And I still have um, one employee, Catherine, who's been with me from the beginning. And she actually was my assistant manager at the previous shop. Mm-hmm. She's, she's been awesome. She, we've learned to work together. We do have sometimes conflicting personalities. But she knows what I expect and, and I know what I can expect out of her. Um, so it's been easy in that regard to having Catherine. Um, she's kind of been there through, um, through everything. But I think that the, also the challenge is, is just getting the vendors to understand that you know there is a a goal of making money, mm-hmm. and I, not all of them really understand that. And um, and it was a huge wake up call for me. I think when I started to realize that. There was just some reps or some vendors that just they you know there was no interest or effort put into our best interest Mm -hmm. as well they were taking care of themselves and that i i appreciate that but at the same time it's that you know they were there wasn't always a good understanding of uh things would just magically appear in my store and a bill would have here and I'm just like, well, what is this and why is this here? You know, yeah. like we we had um, we had a vendor that just uh, you know we were constantly butting heads and I'm like, well, what is the deal here? Yeah. And they're like, all right, we're done. You know, so they, they told me they were done and I found out later that it's like they had done that to multiple friends that own shops and I'm just like, and they had all worked it out. I'm like, I don't understand why you guys like the goal for us all is to make money. Sure, you know, so why yeah. why would you? You know why would you dump something in here and you know and, and make it difficult for me to make money on your product? Sure, like, it shouldn't be adversarial. It should be helping you to well, sell their product. I mean. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, that's like one yeah. thing. 
I, I honestly, I'm just, I, it dumbfounds me some days. Sure. It, it still, it, it still baffles me when I get an Excel spreadsheet and that's the order form. I'm like, have you guys not heard of the internet? <laughs> like, I, it, it, it blows my mind. But you have some of the largest companies, bicycle companies in the world that still, their pre-seasons all are done Excel spreadsheets. I'm like, what's, that's insanity. Sure. You know, this can all be done online and... And I granted, I know that they probably want their reps out there visiting the shops and doing stuff, but it is just, it's a, it's a logistical nightmare from, from my standpoint mm-hmm. um, to keep track of all these Excel spreadsheets. There's always somebody fat fingers something and it gets, sure. you know, all of a sudden I'm getting 20 of something that I didn't want anything of or wrong sizing. And it just, it, there's just too much uh, variability in that to make it. Um, a, a worthwhile process. Sure. Yeah. So it sounds like you maybe want to run your business in the 21st century and there's some vendors or a chunk of the industry that's a little I, behind the curve. Yeah. I think that's something that right now the, the bike industry is going through a huge change. Um, uh, there's a lot of people that are worried. A lot of shops are closing. And, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with Companies, bike companies, bike vending, you know, like uh, accessory companies, clothing companies, um, kind of holding on to these older ideas of how to do things with the Excel spreadsheets or, or just making, you know, bike shops buy, you know, thousands of dollars in pre-seasons, you know, up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the bike shops, just there's a lot of, that just aren't tech savvy, that don't kind of understand how to get product quickly you know we in being in the Seattle area we benefit hugely from the all of the um, uh, we're very close to a lot of distribution um, from coming up from California even in the Seattle area we got there's several warehouses in Kent um, and we get stuff up from Reno and um, next day so it's very easy for us to have just-in-time inventory management Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas there's other places, part of the country, where that's not the case. And so they, they probably do struggle. They're going to have to drag out an inventory uh, cycle where they're probably ordering much larger quantities fewer times. Where I can pretty much be like, you know, I can, they're one of our vendors, I can email my rep at 7 a.m. my order for the day mm-hmm. and I'll get it that afternoon. And uh, it's just like, it's a godsend. And of course, we. He sees probably 80% of my parts business and that he has in stock. And the reason is that I, we have a trust relationship that I know that um, it's very easy if I have to, if it's an emergency, I can drive down to Kent, pick it up sure. and come back. And it makes my life easy. Um, so in, in the scheme of things, the industry is having a hard time understanding how that works and why, why businesses you know, we're competing against the internet and and companies like Amazon and um, and other companies that will ship up from Oregon and you know you don't have to pay sales tax or mm-hmm. you don't have to shipping or things like that. And then the stuff is like ridiculously low price. And you know, there's no for a lot of these companies that do things like that. There's no inherent value in their product other than somebody's just getting a sweet deal mm-hmm. um, you know so I, for us it's always you know so we have to differentiate ourselves 
from the you know the the, the internet based companies that pretty much just sell a deal. True. Um, you know, eventually it's going to come to bite all those companies that sell through them on on the butt because people you know like I was saying earlier, people aren't going to inherently value your product if they know that it's like. Well, I could buy it at my local bike store, or I could go down to, you know, I could go online and buy it for 20% off or whatever. Sure. And um, people won't value their product. And, and I think that's something that um, uh, we're seeing right now with a, a company called Shimano, where they've just basically allowed um, a couple companies in the UK to just dump product into the US. Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes that product is at cost or below what we would buy it directly from Shimano mm-hmm. and people are just other shops are just like you know they're just like screw Shimano I'm not going to sell their parts unless I have to yeah. or I'll do I'll buy parts I'll buy aftermarket parts that are Shimano compatible mm-hmm. so I don't have to support them Shimano is going to have to come to a realization they also you know they've also been silent about certain things but they've also said like well we don't make any money after market so we don't care it ultimately it will come back on them yeah you know it may be once so we see a ton of shops go out of business or you know their market eventually dries up mm-hmm. i think um they'll come to a realization but for right now there it's we don't see it and uh, it, it's troubling but like i said you know as a bike shop owner i have to make sure that i have uh, I'm smart and savvy, and mm-hmm. I, you know, choose that product or the services and do them very well. Sure. So that I can differentiate myself from Amazon, which, you know, uh, and they're they're not they're, Amazon isn't ever really going to be able to provide the same level of service that I will. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they're they're two different business models. You know, one's providing the cheapest product they can, but you're not getting the trust relationship of someone saying yeah I, I use this and I like this product and I can also install it for you and right. you know yeah you know and then we look at the products and I think one of the things that has happened and I've seen and with a couple of my customers there you know they they have buyer's remorse it's like well I went on Amazon I bought this light and it worked for about a week and then it died and it's just like like I never know what I'm getting on Amazon and and I and I think I mean not necessarily to badmouth Amazon, but you know there's other websites, but Amazon is you know the the biggest one out there, and right. it it's, it affects actually many industries. But um, and I think that's something that you know I kind of laugh, and I'm like, well, you know, buying cheap is oftentimes far more expensive than just buying the right product the very first sure. time. I mean, you get what you pay for is it's generally true. Yeah, it's like I note that, understand what they bought, and then I'm like show them. The product that will work for them and satisfy mm-hmm. the the their need, um, and and I do it in a way that just helps them be reassured. It's like they can return it back to me as well if something doesn't work. Or my, sure. I I only bring in products that I know that the vendors stand and stand behind and support. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, the only other thing is just like there's so many aspects to running a business. Uh, there's so many moving pieces that um, it, you you can easily get taken off course um, and you are fighting like every day to come back and keep on on track um, and and I think there's also you know for me uh, 
like for someone that wants to do it the right way the first time, it's it's a challenge because you don't always know what you don't know. Right. And I've you know I've I've definitely been burned by um, outside assistants, professionals that I'm like, okay, this is what I need. This is what I need, how I need it to be done. Will this work? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That no problem. And then I'm like, okay. So where is that tax return? Or <laughs> where is that? you know uh, file or whatever and they're like oh sorry I, I guess I couldn't do it and I'm just like you know so so it's been tough for sure at times but you know we just keep moving on you know it's like I just like figure out what the problem is fix it if I can um, and then move forward sure so I mean kind of going back to that, that vendor issue uh, like with, with Shaman I mean how, how are they able to do that. I mean, Shimano is obviously, you know, in the bike industry, a well-respected brand. I mean, I've built several bikes from the ground up and, yeah. you know, typically use their higher-end higher, higher end stuff. I mean, I know there's other things they, out there. But. Well, I mean, it's, it's a complicated story in the sense that you have supply chain issues um, where you have, a, you have a factory in China that says, okay, well, I'm going to build 3,000 of this bike and I need these components. And they're like, actually, we were only able to build a thousand of those bikes, so I'm gonna take and out the back door, sell that extra 2,000 to Chain Reaction and this other company called Wiggle, but they're actually, they just merged. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll sell them these components and I'll, I'll make back my money and then they end up selling it. And you know, they buy it at a, at a, at a OEM price, mm -hmm. which is far lower, you know, it's sure. 30, 30 to 40%, depending on the manufacturer, lower than what we would sure. normally get. So, and Shimano doesn't have an issue with that company doing that? Um, they say that they have, they have no way to control it. Um, but, I, you know, there's a company called SRAM who actually does, and they do it very well. And they've gotten to the point where they've actually prevented those companies in the UK and Europe from sending products to the US. So they just they just announced that uh, about a month ago that they've cut all those agreements off. So, but what does end up happening is as this as this these parts come down the line, eventually, you know, a customer will come in and is like, "Yeah, I bought this stuff online and it's missing the following parts." And they I'm like, well, didn't it come in the box? It's like, no, it came in a couple of little baggies and this and that. I'm like, yeah, so you bought, basically I had to explain to them that you bought uh, a backdoor gray market product yeah. and it was designed to go with one particular type of bike. And while it technically will work with yours, it doesn't have all the bits to work with your bike. And right. so, um, so, so it, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I have to be sometimes, it, I, you know, I do feel like the bad guy, even though I'm just unfortunately telling them the reality of it is that, yeah, it's going to cost you another hundred bucks, which probably means it probably wasn't as good of a deal as sure. you initially probably thought. Probably cheaper to buy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to, but say, but it's just one of those things that um, you know we have to deal with, and you know the the electronics industry had been dealing with this back in the day, and you just look now at what's happened is like. You know, no one knows what Circuit City is. Nobody sure. knows what there was like. Oh gosh, I don't know how many, you know, uh, different large box stores right. that sold electronics, and you know they had a hard time with that gray market, and they're all gone. 
Um, the fact that Best Buy is still around is just amazes me. Sure. Um, fries. Or... Yeah, fries. Yeah. I mean, fries is always a little bit unique, but Best Buy, and so, uh, so you're gonna you're seeing that same thing in the outdoor world right now. Okay. Um, you had sports chalet close. Um, one of the larger sporting goods stores here closed. I think the only one on the left really is Big Five. And all of these companies, they're having a hard time competing with Amazon or whoever. Sure. And they buy huge amounts. And, um, you know, I get rumblings from my reps coming and saying, it's like, yeah, people, it's down right now because all of these companies that used to buy all this product, clothing and shoes from mm -hmm. us, you know, they had liquidation sales and they dumped all this product back into the, the supply chain. And so now, you know, everybody bought up this stuff. And so they're just sure. selling this product at an even lower price. And so, you know, there's going to be, that's, that's that. It's, there's some correction going on in the market yeah. that needs to, ha that's going to happen. But, you know, I, I think I, if I was, if I was a large chain or a large bike store I would be a little worried mm -hmm. you know it's you're because you're usually tied to these uh, larger purchases and buying that makes it hard um, and it makes it hard to be nimble sure. and change and adapt quickly so. sure that'd be challenging because you're not Amazon but you're still having to compete with them and you probably can't provide the same nimbleness or service necessarily yeah, that a smaller exactly. shop could yeah exactly yeah. yeah and there's always I mean you especially like you know I, I still get it. People go to Target. It's like, well, I can get that kid's bike for, you know, $75 at Target. And I'm like, yeah, it'll probably weigh twice as much as the kid, and it'll probably sure. be really crappy components. And, right, right, bad and design. And, yeah, yeah, and it, 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 and, and, and we, we, sell, we sell good quality product that's fairly lightweight, and it's sure. a good product. It's not going to necessarily be the cheapest, and we know that. And, yeah. But the other thing is that you have something that's going to have some value. Well, I mean, that, the whole supply chain thing is interesting to me because, you know, in my industry, we're not dealing with, I mean, guys, we, we have product, you know, we deal yeah. with houses, but it's yeah. not like you're selling components and have to worry about, you know, supply chains and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's fascinating to me because, you know, you're still dealing with the client experience, right? You're still yeah. dealing with what's best for, for the end user. And uh, and I think it's interesting because, you know, you, you, you've got your, your Amazons, right? You know, which mm -hmm. is kind of commoditized, you know, the whole, you know, any, anything that can be sold online, you know, has... Right. It's kind of got people thinking, you know, just the cheapest price possible, that's what I'm going to go for. Uh, but there's still people, obviously, that value the, uh, the shop with their, you know, that make decisions with their dollars saying, well, I'd rather support the local guy who, you know, I have a relationship with, I trust him, I trust right. what he recommends. Uh, yes, I can be the cheapest, but you're getting an experience as opposed to you may right. get something that you right. think is right, it's not, it's costing more, whatever. And I know. think that has been one of the things that I've always noticed um, with being in West Seattle mm -hmm. uh, and something that I really um, with the when I managed the, the the store here in West Seattle I tried to like get the owner to understand is like stay focused locally because um, everybody in West Seattle wants to support that local that local retailer mm -hmm. you know I've, I can't tell you how many times people are like and, you know, maybe I need to work on my signage, which I think I do. But, you know, people come as like they were over at the, the Beer Junction, which is the right across the street. Right. And they're there like, you know, three days a week or, you know, every weekend. And they're like, they come over. I was like, I never knew there's a bike shop here. I'm like, did you <laughs> look out that window? Are you serious? Yeah. You know, and uh, 
people kind of have their blinders on and and i would say i was probably the same way like, sure. you know, i i even though i li- had lived in west seattle for about five years before i actually really started being in the you know kind of being aware of the junction and working here um i, I don't remember half the businesses that used to be up here kind of going to the next section of the interview what is your greatest strength um, I think the, probably the greatest strength is being able to um, uh, adapt to and, and kind of work, adapt to the changes, understand what needs to happen to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, just following kind of the gut and, and knowing what's, what's happening. Um, I, probably my weakness in that is that I don't, uh, you know, my gut is telling me one thing, and I don't act on it as soon as I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that—that's that's you know, I think that's. I would say that my, for the most part, my instincts have always served me pretty well. Um, it's when I don't uh, kind of pay attention to them that uh, things can get a little crazy. Okay. What is one habit you wish you had? Um, I think the um, I think the one habit I think I wish I had had was just being able to kind of ask a few more questions and challenge a few more of our the the relationships that I had had with, have with uh, employees or vendors or things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm working on that. Um, you know, I I would say that. Uh, it's rare that I get burned multiple times, but it does happen. Yeah. So uh, just it's just that that it's that constant ability to to kind of ask a few more questions. You know, not always taking everybody at their word. Uh, what what is personal habit that contributes to your success? Um, you know, I think uh, would probably be obviously the ability to adapt, but I think just uh, being outgoing and being nice and kind to people, and um, even when you're cranky and having a bad day, uh, just being able to at least be nice to and listen to what they need, um, it's it's a huge thing and it goes a long way. And I I think there's been times where I know that I was in just a really bad mood and I kind of, it's like, you know, I kind of took a step back, went and grabbed a, a drink of water and I just, relaxed and then came back and I've had they've led to really good things um, for certain cut from some of my customers or sales or things like that so the next question kind of kind of goes back to uh, an answer to a previous question where you're talking about how uh, it's really easy you know in business running your own business to kind of get off track with yeah. you know kind of the things you you know you should be doing right. there's so much stuff vying for your time um what what are some boundaries that you set up to keep you from being distracted uh, either by technology or other time-sucking elements of running your own business um i would probably say that one of the biggest things that you know obviously having my coaching my employees on how to just kind of uh run interference um so that we can get through the day um you know like I do, I would probably say, and this probably goes back to my, you know, from when I was in tech, but I would, you know, I actually will take the time occasionally just to stop what I'm doing and just read an article, just refocus, mm-hmm. um, because I, I found that there's, it's, 
occasionally those days where I just um, I don't take a break um, I you know the work I know that it may, it suffers you know I've had employees in the past like oh I don't need to take a lunch or I don't need to take a break I'm like nope legally you need to take one right. and for your own well-being and for everybody's sanity you need to take a break sure like it's just just I don't care what you do you can go sit in the corner mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go for a bike ride you can do whatever sure. just leave like just because in the end of the day you know if you don't take that break you're just gonna it's just it it goes downhill really quick and you're not gonna make it sure yeah i mean i've read plenty of articles and productivity books and whatever else that that all pretty much say you know a variance of the same thing you know work for an hour work for 50 minutes take 10 minute break just do something that's not what you're doing right and it kind of you know gives your brain the ability to reset and you know you're yeah. You, oh, yeah, you feel like you're taking a break, but you're actually way more productive and focused after that, you know. Exactly, and I think you know, for me, I'm I'm happy to let sometimes uh, in those situations, and I think you know, from a mental standpoint, uh, I'm happy to just yeah, I'll I'll let Facebook be a time suck for a little while, or you know, I'll watch another stupid video about cats or something like that. Sure. Just as long as you're because in- it's not yeah. it's not you know it allows my my brain to refocus, sure. and especially if I'm just having a hell of a time with the bike repair or something like that. Sure, um, it's always good. Sure, break up the work a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what is the best advice you have ever received? You know, I, I, I don't nothing that like specifically comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Like um, uh, growing up and uh, working with my dad or my grandfather. Um, you know, I think the. Something they've all like it was instilled in me was just a strong work ethic that has always been a part of me. And you know, I will work really hard, and sometimes I will, you know, work. You know, but my grandfather, <laughs> I guess one thing my grandfather did always say is like, you know, uh, work smart, you know, don't like always just figure out how to do it and, and do it right the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that it always. You know, like I said, it, it's 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 been instilled in me, and I try to do it, um, in 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 everything we do, and I try to, you know, if I need to, I will try to coach our my employees on it, um, to kind of help them understand and, and kind of see the big picture, so that they can mm-hmm. focus on the details a little bit better. Sure. Uh, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, what would it be? Um, the one book I would probably recommend, I think, for um, someone that is going into business and someone that um, really kind of wants to understand how to make a, a customer-centric business mm-hmm. um, is a book called The Design of Everyday Things uh, by a, a gentleman named uh, Donald Norman. He, um, it's a, it, the book has been published, and he actually has, I think, two or three subsequent books based on the same thing. But um, it's it's it goes back to my background in software usability and uh, and user interface design. But um, it's just a great book. It tell it like you know he has great stories in there about just why things are designed the way they are mm-hmm. and why you should pay attention to certain aspects of those. So so that your cust- your interaction with the customer is a good one you know it's like and and how to learn to anticipate what the customer wants or doesn't want and 
design your business or your services in a way that makes that easy. Okay. Um, it's 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 a, like it's a great book. It's actually very funny, and most people can probably read it in a in an afternoon. It's okay. not a huge book, but okay. it's it's really good. I'll have to check that out myself. Um, so you know. As we wrap up, uh, what's the best way for, for our listeners to find out more about your business or get in touch with you? You know, I would say uh, you can go to our website. We're in the process of redesigning it, uh, getting a new um, design and look and feel for it. Uh, you know, there obviously we do Facebooks. So we post some stuff to Facebook, you know, two to three times a week. Um, come in, talk, chat, you know, if you're in the need need a bike or you need service like uh we we're always really approachable i've got um everybody i hire like i said is just like i try to make sure that everybody welcomes you and um you know answers any questions you have okay great was there any uh, piece of parting guidance or anything else you want to add before we sign off here um no i think you know i think for everybody it's just get out ride your bike more you know enjoy it seattle's a wonderful place to ride your bike mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the rain and cold that we ever have coming up is it kind of makes it hard. But um, it's just it's just a, a really you've got lots of great scenery and there's lots of places to to ride your bike. Sure, sure. Well, Brad, thank you for joining me today. It's been great hearing a little bit of your story. Uh, definitely go in and uh, check out his bike shop. Buy your next bike. Get your next tune up there. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of the Sea Town Podcast. Make sure to check out our guest's website, support what they're doing, and show them some love. If you liked what you heard on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more about me and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com. Today's intro and outro music is courtesy of the Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. The Seatown podcast creator and host is Christian Harris. This has been a Seatown Media Production. Team.